This is a main hustle media podcast. Hello and welcome to the show. My name is Jackie O and you're listening to Militantly Mixed. Yo, this is Rashani from the single simulcast. And when I'm not making you laugh or making up parody songs, I'm kicking back listening to Militantly Mixed. I would like to acknowledge that the Militantly Mixed podcast is recorded on the traditional lands of the Chumash and the Tongva people, and I wish to pay my respects to the people of those nations, both past and present. Are we all ready? Oh, yeah. All right. So... This is the very first hybrid militantly mixed slash Allison Hart co-moderated. I don't know. <laughs> we, we put it all together really quickly. What do you want to call it, uh, well, Allison? Well, we know what it's called. It's a uh, mixed race artist for black lives. lives. Decenter. Decenter. Yeah. Um, so we decided to get together pretty much over the weekend. We wanted to have a conversation about mixedness and being mixed black in this current state of black lives. Uh, we want to see, you know, how we, Oh, we got, we already have a comment. I'm, such comment. A Uber. I'm sorry. Hi, Mona Lisa. Thank you for commenting. Uh, so we wanted to get together and have a conversation amongst us, people that create, oh, I saw my fan on, uh, people that create in mixedness and in mixed spaces, but put work towards, Black Lives. Um, so we decided to get together. I would like everybody to get a chance to introduce themselves. And um, I'll just kind of call it around in order. And then we'll we'll get into the topic today. Let's go ahead and start with Sonia. Hi, well, thank you for having me. And thank you for um, uh, having this conversation during this time. I think it's really important. And I uh, hope everyone is uh, doing well. Um, I am Sonia Smith-King. I am founder of Mixed Up Clothing. Uh, among a few things that I have going on, uh, always something, um, I make children's clothes that uh, celebrate cultural diversity and inclusion. Um, I also serve as president of Multiracial Americans of Southern California. Thank you for joining us, uh, Sonia. Sonia was actually a guest on Militantly Mishu's. The first of everybody that's in this circle here uh, was a first guest of on Militantly Mix. Uh, let's go to Teresa. Hi there, I'm Teresa Stovall. I am an author, blogger, journalist, and kind of a identity, what I like to say is an identity rabble rouser or identity rights activist, not just for mixed race and different kinds of uh, multiple identities, but like everyone else here, you know, my top priority is fighting anti-Black racism. All right. And I did get uh, Teresa's book in the mail. I'm I'm into the first chapter and I'm hoping to finish up because I have a week off. So I'm hoping to finish it up by the end of the week. <laughs> so I'll get to talk about it on the show soon. And let's go to uh, Richard or Richard. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it could be either. It could be either. I, I pick it up all the time. Uh, my name is Richard Pierre. I am a mixed race filmmaker. Uh, I would sort of describe my subject matter as there's a lot to do with identity, a lot to do with race, uh, a lot about the theme of being an outsider. And uh, most recently, I've gotten into the documentary field. So I think that's going to be really more focused on examining a mixed race identity. So thanks for having me. 
And your current film is screening at the San Francisco uh, Black Film Festival. You want to talk about that for a quick second? Sure. Uh, what Are You is a documentary that basically uh, it's an interview with about 11 different uh, multiracial people. Uh, this is coming from a Canadian context. Uh, I'll just put that out there. Although more than a few of my participants actually do also have like a, an American background. I myself, I was born in sunny California. Uh, I lived there for like the first nine years of my life. Um, but yeah, so the film is uh, just first person perspective on what it is to be mixed and racism that you encounter and a whole bunch of different things. It's a 20 minute short talk and you should check it out because it's streaming right now. It is. Um, and I believe they're taking it as a, as a donation. I think it's a, a minimum donation of about $4 to be able to view it. I did get a chance to see it. So we're going to be talking about that on Militant Mix shortly too. And let's, let's go to Allison and then me, and then we'll do the, we'll screen the trailer and we'll ask the first question. Yeah, I just want to say thank you all for being here. Thank you, everybody who's watching on YouTube. Appreciate you. Um, I am a writer and a musician, as well as a music educator and mother. Uh, my novel, Mostly White, uh, it came from needing to write a book, needing to write a narrative, a mixed race narrative that's loosely based on my ancestry in Maine. And uh, my mother's family, my mother's family is uh, Pasmaquoddy. My mother was Pasmaquoddy, Native American, Black, and Irish. So it centers around four mixed race uh, women over a period of about 100, over 100 years. Uh, so I guess my passion is to express mixed race perspectives as well as also to, to really uh, do the do the work that's necessary to make black lives better, you know, in this country, especially right now. So I I'm grateful for all of you to be here and to continue this conversation. Uh, so thank you. And last, I am Charmaine, aka Mixed Girl Main Fury, host of Militantly Mixed and the Blurred Comics podcast. Uh, most of my work centers around mixedness with a, a leaning or, or focus towards blackness because that is my upbringing and my environment. And everything I do goes, every effort I make goes towards making mixedness a place of safety and comfort for our community. Um, and I think with all of us here, we are all creators. We're all have a mixed black identity and a lot of our work and a lot of our effort goes towards trying to make sure that not only are we comfortable within our own mixedness, but that we we share that comfort and we also encourage that comfort amongst other mixed folks that we encounter. I'm so excited to, to start this conversation with y'all. Uh, we wanted to be able to see if we can show the trailer for the What Are You film. And this is my first time attempting to see if I can share the screen and play the audio. So if it doesn't play the audio, we'll jump back into the conversation. But then after that, we're going to get into our topic of decentering today. So let's see if we can do that. One of my grandparents told one of my parents, don't have kids because your kids are going to look like aliens. I've never felt that I could say that I am black. However, that is completely different from what people perceive me as or describe me as. 
in the span of one day and like a 20 minute drive, I could go from being seen as white to be seen as black. We'll have links to how to how to view the film and links to everybody's um, books and companies will be in the um, description portion of the YouTube a little bit later on if um, if it's not already there for y'all. All right, so let's get into to the topic today. Uh, we wanted to talk about decentering, and that can take all different types of forms. That can be decentering whiteness. That could be decentering our mixed experience in an entirely black space. Um, there's a lot of different ways that we can go into this and we wanted to kind of focus on how we're doing it as creators. And for our audience who's listening to us right now, in case anybody isn't familiar with the term decentering, uh, I just wanted to define it for us really quickly. The, the term decentering, it's about dis the displacement from a central position, especially of the individual human subject from a primary place or a central role. So. It's an attempt to lead with empathy. It's an attempt to view from outside of ourselves and to actually be aware of the other, whatever the other is and whatever circumstance it is. So I'm going to turn it on over to Allison so that we can get this conversation going. Yeah, so I did have the opportunity to see your film, Richard. And I, again, I, it's, I was struck by the power of, of narrative and also how it was... It was really, it was really healing as a mixed race person to hear what ev everybody's story and everybody what they were saying it was very engaging. So I really, I encourage everybody to go see it. Um, and I also wanted to kind of pull out a, a theme, a common thread that I that really is an, a mixed experience, which is this pain of not belonging, um, and that is with so much of being. Uh, uh, an other being mixed, what have you, and standing on the on the border of groups, and how it's the human need to 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 want to belong. That's just that's just part of being human, and how that we cope with that. It's painful. Yet there's also what I've come to realize is that we're very skillful. We're very skillful at decentering. And so with a thought or with that understanding and, and fleshing that out, that albeit this is painful, that we are constantly engaged in the world as, uh, you know, on the border in so many ways, right? To turn that around and reframe it as a skill. So with this decentering skill, it leads us to the question, as mixed race black artists, how can we use decentering as a skill in support of black lives at this current stage? So just open that up and open it up for discussion and um, feel free to chime in. Who wants to go first? Sonia, do you want to go? Uh, sure. So uh, the the two things that I that came to mind uh, when when you're asking that question is for me is giving uh, permission uh, was kind of the first word that I thought of was really uh, my father's African American and my mom is Mexican American um, and to to also to be able to share that and to give myself permission to have the same feelings. Um, just as on a human level, first of all, but then on the level of, you know, knowing the stories and the, the history um, of what has happened to 
to my black ancestors. So I think that's really important for me is the giving permission and the actual learning about the, um, uh, our history. And for that, I, I make sure that not only in who I am as a person, but also with my children and anyone around me. And what I do with mixed up clothing is coming from that space of education. Um, so I take active education as a form of activism. Um, and that's, and that's how I, uh, talk about the story and talk about uh, the messaging that I hope uh, resonates with others. Um, Teresa, would you like to share? Yes, thank you. So my background, my father's African-American with um, liberal doses of Native American tribes unspecified. And my mother was uh, Jewish. Her parents were from Russia. And I grew up in a very mixed environment in Seattle, Washington, in a community that was mixed, in a city that had a lot of mixing going on. I'm a baby boomer. So I was born a long time before um, the whole loving, loving versus Virginia and all that. Um, I use communication, various forms of media and writing as my tools or my weapons in in my activism. My, my goal is always to stimulate thought and conversations and to take whatever the topic is, maybe provide a different perspective, maybe illuminate a perspective that doesn't often get seen a lot or heard a lot, and to, to just kind of evolve and elevate the conversation so everybody has a chance to contribute and everybody has a chance to walk away a little bit richer. That's at least my goal. In terms of, of what we're talking about, decentering our identities, our lives, our beings in support of black lives, I thought about that, meditated on it. And for me, it comes down to a slight shift in focus, a slight shift in focus. And the visual I came up with is a theater um, where instead of being on stage, you decide to run tap or you decide to take a backstage role or a role off to the side because you know you want to make a contribution, you want to be part of it, but you don't need to be the one on stage getting the applause in the spotlight with the focus on you. Yes, I love that. <laughs> backstage. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I think that's a, a great sort of way to look at it. Like that's my perspective. Like a lot of the time it really is, instead of being at the front of the march, you're somewhere maybe towards the back, towards the middle. Like you don't need to be right up there center stage, uh, having the spotlight shine on you. But I mean, it's also, so I think the whole mixed identity is you're always sort of potentially ping ponging between the two worlds. So in, in some cases you are, at the front of the march like when you're dealing with your your white family you might be at the front of that march versus mm. when you're in you know the black space you you might be at the back of the march does that make sense I mean, yeah that's sort of my take on things and then other times you you might just be like i don't know where i fit in right now and i just need a break <laughs> <laughs> it can be exhausting trying to figuring out where we're what time is it right now is this the be in well, yeah, front is it, or be in the back being loud or should I let someone else be loud and just amplify that voice? Mm -hmm. It's kind of what uh, Teresa, when I was talking with you on the phone, you're like, read the room. You've got to read the room. And I thought that was brilliant. 
like, yeah, we need to read the room. And we're so we're good at that because we're sensitive to what spaces we enter because we have to be for to survive this experience, right? Exactly. Yes. 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 I saw a, a video like one of those TikToks or and it, whatever the kids are sharing these days um, that was at one of the protests where like there was a white woman that was kind of directing traffic like you go there, you do this, you, you know, and um, just a regular protester that was kind of going along the march stopped her and goes, who's the black person in charge here? Like basically like in this moment, why are you standing up on this podium t- directing traffic for the Black Lives Matter thing? And the woman was just like. I just, you know, she see her body kind of tense up in the in this sort of thing of like, but I'm here for you. Why would you ask me? You know, it was one of those moments and um, something that I've been thinking about, too. This frustration of late allyship is this not necessarily that read the room thing, not necessarily knowing that just because you're here and you want to be a voice and you want to help that you don't have to lead, um, I guess, in the, in the terms of that specific white person at this march. But in our cases, there's times when we don't have to lead. Like we we might be the bridge to maybe a white audience to understand us a little bit better, but it's not always our time. And it's hard sometimes to know those moments. Um, for me, it's hard because my face and skin tone don't match my identity because I grew up black and I didn't know I wasn't black until somebody told me I wasn't black, you know, until I got 15 and someone was like, you know, you're a little pale. <laughs> that's a, that's the first time that I realized that I wasn't black enough for certain groups. And I would have to try to figure out when are these moments that I'm supposed to speak loud and when not. And it's sometimes very difficult for me because I have a predominantly black identity, but I don't have, you know, the skin tone to match. I do like the idea, that idea of the theater though, too, because so many things, people have to be behind stage to make a production work. And sometimes we can be those people and it's perfectly fine to do it. Um, I really like that. I think that's the best. Im- I think that is like the best image that I've heard about, about that. I think too, there's a lot of conversations among, um, well, younger than me, um, mixed race people, because when I was growing up, mixed race there was no tangible existence for it, right? I mean, you could be mixed, but you know, you were basically gonna be shuttled. And you were, if you were mixed with black, you were probably gonna be shuttled black. There wasn't society wasn't doing a lot of navel gazing. Nobody was really doing an analysis. It was like if you got black, you're black. Because we were still very much on the binary. This is the 50s, 60s, and 70s. This is a long time ago. In more recent years, there is what I call a there, there. There are conversations, there are organizations, there are groups like the one Sonia heads in Southern California, very active, that are very tangible, that do very solid work and very consistent work. And so the conversation has shifted. And with that, I think a lot of complexities are being looked at now that it's just more complicated. So what I see to, to um, further look at this concept of how we decenter mixed race identities in support of black lives is that in some spaces and sometimes in places, it's very important for us to spotlight our mixedness, right? And all five of us are super racially ambiguous looking. So, you know, that is that, and that speaks to Richard's film. 
but and that of course you know was a whole nother layer of life right but and even in addition to that that they're now there now our our conversations and tangible you know platforms like militantly mixed and groups and things doing work so the mixed race identity is an is a thing when i was coming up it wasn't a separate thing it didn't have its own place or space and so what that does is that complicates the narrative that we're talking about right now if you're mixed with black there you the assumption cannot be for these younger folks well you got some black you're black just come on over here you're with us you know and there are other complexities as well and so that's what I'm fascinated by and why I'm always interested in seeing and hearing other people's stories so I can learn about the complexities in today's world and of the people who are coming up now or who are you know younger and facing these because that's what complicates our conversation. How do you, when you say, yes, I will talk as a mixed race person, I will represent, but in this context, I'll talk as a black person and I'll represent. I've been doing that for a long time and have never had a conflict, but again, I came up in a less complex context. There was something you said, Teresa, on um, on militantly mixed on the episode that you were on with me, where you were you were describing you were explaining the census and how you were part of the early fight to get um, a mixed race category on the census, and then only to find out twenty years later that that's that category is used against the black community um, and things like that. And that I mean, for me, that was eye opening. I've done so much looking into it ever since and and without you talking about it i don't know if i would have stumbled on it on myself but it made me start to think about those moments of when am i just black for the for the culture for the people for the cause for the family and when am i mixed and um i i'm I'm gonna tell you like it's what has it been like a month a month and a half since we had that conversation and it is basically like right now i'm just black i'm mixed but i'm just black you know because i i feel like i that is where I'm going to do the most amount of good right now. And if not for that conversation, if not for being able to have access to you because you wrote a book and because you wrote a book, I now figured, found you and have access to you. I don't know when I would have been able to have that conversation that opened up that idea for me, like in such a positive way, like actively changing uh, giving me permission to code switch when I really need to versus being forced to code switch because of a situation, like letting me have the choice in that, I think was was really good about that particular thing. Allison, did you did you um, get a chance to talk about your? You're on mute, and we have to make sure we're muting. Yeah. Oh, here I am. So the word a word comes up for me when I when I think about engaging in in black spaces like black lives matter or what have you and and this is the word backbone like i gotta have my own backbone like i can't go there needing something around like my mixedness need to be seen or whatever you know like so so how do i get that backbone you know how do i go into those spaces and really be present and and really be there and in the ways that uh, that Richard pointed out that sometimes you're in the back or you know um, and 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 I think that takes ego strength and I think that takes also back to storytelling back to the storytellers that we are whether we're telling through clothing or what have you right you're telling you're you're educating and telling stories is that 
is that I need, I need to be in places of mixedness so I can feel that connection. So I can have that sense of place and belonging. And then I can go out in community and then I can show up without needing something. Does that make sense? Like, with, in other words, show up with a backbone. Are you talking about the validation that a lot of us seek when we're when we're trying yeah. to oh, be validated by blackness or whichever? Yeah. Yes. Group? Yes. And so that's that one word comes up for me. In this idea, this concept of belonging. Uh, so Allison and I were talking when we were kind of figuring out what we were going to be talking about today about how that sense of a belonging is a is kind of a motivator or a demotivator for us as mixed black folks in in a lot of ways i think um and this wasn't a planned question but based off of what every, everybody has said how are you using that sense of belonging in your art to motivate like to include your art as activists, so to include um, that as a motivation for your activism. How are how are y'all doing that? Anybody? I forgot to mute again. I'm sorry, everybody. Um, but I can answer. I'd like to answer that um, just briefly. Is that I um, really delve into history in my in my work. So. Uh, it, it's a historical novel, mostly white, and it starts in 1870. And the character Emma, she's black and Passamaquoddy native, and she's in a residential school in Maine. And I had to do a lot of research. You know, I didn't want to. You know, if if I'm going to write something, I need to set the set the stage. I need to know the setting. I need to know what's going on. And I, and so it requires a lot of research. So I feel like. Uh, w along with writing us telling a mixed race narrative, I'm also teaching history. And I'm also frankly learning history because the way it was taught in our schools. Ah. So um, yeah, I guess that's how I uh, can contribute through my work, through my novels. Right. Mm -hmm. Sonia, um, when you had the idea for mixed up clothing of, because of, I remember our conversation um, was about both sort of telling a story through the clothing, but also investigating perhaps somebody's identity through it. Um, can you talk a little bit more about mixed up clothing and how you how you use that? Yeah, for for mixed up clothing, it was really about uh, telling a story and getting conversations started. Um, so when I was having um, my I had my two younger children, I was a critical care nurse at the time. And so what I was really trying to do was give them something uh, for themselves as, uh, you know, my husband is Korean, so they are, you know, part him, part me. And what I was really hoping to do with the, the clothing that I was making for them was so that they could wear it every day. Um, you know, there plus there wasn't anything in the space so I, I started mixed up clothing for that reason. I sourced fabric from all over the world and each one comes with a little card that tells the story about the culture. Um, and, you know, just to my whole thing is learning about somebody else. I, I just love talking and finding out, you know, um, discovering uh, their history, their, their customs, 
Um, that kind of thing really, really excites me. And so that I found in the clothing was really trying to figure out a way how to continue that story, how to continue the learning um, and how to uh, build friendships. And, and I felt like the one way we could do that was really trying to discover what, um, what it is that, that is similar as well as understanding the differences and appreciating the differences um, from, from that end. Um, one of the things that I uh, wanted to make sure uh, that I did was also um, have a community for my children. And that's where MASK uh, really, really came for me, uh, was really finding folks that were multiracial um, and or had transracially adopted or um, you know, were allies. And so for me, uh, it was a healthy combination of, of learning with activism and advocacy in that same thing, um, thing which is what I felt um, we were doing really well. And that was trying to make change. Um, and so whether that was always kind of sending messages uh, politically uh, or our work with the census or even from events that we were doing, everything had a meaning and everything was about learning and teaching one another. Um, Richard, do you have thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I'd like to sort of build on that. Like, I, I think definitely when I put together the documentary, like I was definitely thinking about, you know, trying to find the similarities and the differences and the film doesn't just involve mixed race, black people it's like mixed race people of all colors i'll say well yeah all all backgrounds um because i wanted to see sort of what commonalities we all have and what differences there are i mean when i initially thought of the documentary i was like you know do i just do this as like a mixed black documentary which is like obviously an experience in and of itself and just deal with people who have you know one one black parent and one other parent. Um, but I, I thought it was maybe more interesting just to sort of see the gamut of people in this film and then maybe build on this and to see sort of where that takes me. But yeah, it was about sort of building, uh, building a project that would let all mixed people know that, you know, we all sort of have similar stories, even if they're, even if they're different, you can find something that really, speaks to your lived experience uh, to build sort of, I won't say a community, but, you know, I have tried to do the social media thing so that there is something beyond the film itself. And I, I hope that I will continue this project in some form so that people can just, you know, go to the website and there's always something new and engaging and they can, because there's so many layers to this experience. Like I thought I, I heard your podcast and you were like, you know, when I started this podcast, I thought I knew everything there was to know about mixed because I'm mixed. And uh, I sort of had that same thought when I started the documentary. And I was like, oh, well, I'm mixed, so I must know everything there is to know about being mixed. But right. I'll do some research. And the more I read, the more I'm like, wow, there's just there's so many nuances that I wouldn't have thought of. And there are people who identify as mixed, and that's all they are. There are people who identify as black and that's all they are despite how you might look at them and perceive them uh, I mean you could look like me and be like I'm black and that's it and that's obviously a totally cool way to identify um, and yeah, there are obviously people who would just pass for white and that's fine too um, but yeah it's just like it's such a varied experience that you can't say just sort of one thing I rambled a bit there but 
No, I mean, that, that's exactly right. I think I, I'm not going to speak for all of us, but I'll ask if, if we all have a similar experience. Um, you know, it's hard to sometimes not think we're a monolith. Like, you know, like I said, and like you thought too, I'm mixed. I, I, I got this thing in the bag. I know exactly what's going on in the world, you know? And then you start to talk to more mixed people and you, you start to see other mixed people step out and share their identity. And then you start to realize just that, not a, you do have a lot of crossover. I think no matter what racial groups we come from, we have a lot of crossover. But in terms of experience or how people treat us or how how we engage in spaces and things like that, um, but you find that somebody can say something and it completely eradicates your identity for a little bit. You know, it just like stops you dead in your tracks. And now you have to sit there and kind of reassess and reevaluate. Oh, you know, actually, my identity is a little bit more complicated than I thought it was two minutes ago. Um, that's something that's happened to me multiple times during the militantly mixed process. And I imagine possibly all of you as you've investigated whatever art you platforms you're you're doing that this kind of stuff happens too. I don't think it makes us I don't think it puts us on sh shaky ground. But like Allison, what you said about, you know, kind of shaking away sloughing away the ego you got to let yourself do it like you got to let yourself go through it no matter how painful it is and how traumatic it can be sometimes and sometimes it feels good as hell and you're you feel like you got a village and you got a tribe and you're here to go like i feel that when i engage with anybody through the show but sometimes it's just like <laughs> I don't know. You know, you just sit there, you're just like, I don't know. Um, but having that ability to like let your ego go and let your experience happen. I I just have to say it. It's like identity as a concretized thing versus identity as like water. And mm. that that I and it, there's a sense of humility about it in the, in terms of well, um I, you know, learning something, learning a different, different perspective, um, learning some history you didn't know or, or what have you when it changes things. So, yeah, I feel like I'm a work in progress. So thank you. I hope we all feel that way. I mean, Teresa and I had a conversation just a month ago where we talked about how often things have shifted for us. And sometimes it is because you had an interaction with your daughter that made you think, oh, wait a second. All right. Um, you know. I think we all got to do it, right? Well, can I add something about decentering? Mm -hmm. That I was just, as I'm listening to you all, that occurs to me is that, um, especially decentering mixedness in support of Black lives, it is a little, I think, a bit of a context I'd like to share and see what you all think. But in my lived experience, um, People who look like us, whether we look like this because we're mixed or not, not all light-skinned people are mixed, not all mixed people are light-skinned, but people who look like us traditionally, and not just in this country, when we enter black spaces, we are often spotlighted and centered and prioritized. To, we don't necessarily want it. We're not even consciously aware of it sometimes, especially when we're young or that sometimes we're just thinking about other things, right? But that there is that, that that's something else I think we have to be hypersensitive and hypervigilant about that. And it's not to blame the people who are doing it because we are all conditioned. We all have 400 plus years of conditioning in this country and throughout the diaspora 
where that just, as we all know, that just automatically happens. Skin, hair, features, people size you up, you know, it's like anything else. And a lot of times we're centered when we don't want to be. We're centered when it never occurred to us that we were about to be. And some of that comes under the heading of colorism, light skin privilege. Um, and I, th I think that adds layers of complexity and, and things that really necessitate us, again, that read the room thing is being hypersensitive and hyper empathetic because we're all acting out of our programming and deeply unconscious biases programming, whatever you want to call it, so that people like us really will walk in the room and it'll be like, Shh, and it's like all eyes are on you, right? That kind of thing. And you're like, well, okay. You know? I didn't but, do this. <laughs> well, it's not that I didn't do this. It's not even that. It's in the context of whatever space you're entering, that might not be your desire. You might want to be, yeah. I mean, I'm a writer, so I always want to be people watching and eavesdropping. I rarely want people looking at me. Seriously, mm. I'm, I'm happiest when I'm invisible, anonymous, and I can just look and make up stories about people here. Right, Allison? I don't. I rarely want the people, but what I've learned, and I've worked in a lot of Black spaces throughout my life. I've been privileged to do that. So I'm super hyper aware of that dynamic. And again, it's not personal. It's not personal on the part of the people doing it. It's not personal towards me. It is how we are programmed. I just wanted to bring that up as a context for us to maybe chop up a little bit because in our consciously decentering our mixedness and some of the things that come through it with us as specific individuals, um, I think that's, that's a more complicated, sometimes prickly part of it. But that, to me anyway, and in the work that I do in the spaces I enter, I try to be very, very conscious. Sometimes I'm not. Sometimes I'm spaced out thinking about something else. And then when it, it, it shows up, I'm like, oh, okay, wait. <laughs> you know, and it's, it can be uncomfortable. But I wanted to bring that up because I think to decenter mixedness, to prioritize blackness, we have to keep that context and history in mind. Right. And that's a good point. And I, I think in sometimes well, I'm not smooth about it very often, you know, I'll just kind of maybe blurt out like this isn't about me today, you know, or something like that, which I think kind of brings it back to me accidentally, you know, unintentionally in that kind of respect. But what techniques do some of y'all have to try to decenter you as mixed people in and predominantly black spaces? If, if you're even aware that you do it or or something, do y'all have techniques that you can throw out and share with folks? Well, I think it's funny. I think Evelyn um, in our comments here made made the same kind of uh, questions. He said, you know, if no one recognizes you're mixed, uh, do you find a way to to bring it up? And I know I've done that, you know, for sure, whether it's code switching, whether it's, uh, you know, using the vernacular of the, you know, the community. I know I've definitely have done that. Um, uh, and then there's other times where I go in unapologetic and, you know, we'll say this is not if you are upset with me, uh, this is not an issue I, I choose to carry. Um, and so it, it depends. So I, I when I'm in black spaces, I I am black. So, you know, I don't. So I I. I don't know what, you know, to, to do with that. And so sometimes when I'm hearing in different forums, you know, where someone is trying to, uh, you know, uh, kind of, you know, check my black card, if you will, um, I, I, I get taken aback 
And, you know, so, so I'm hearing this and I'm listening and I get it. But then on the flip side, um, you know, does anybody check Angela Davis? She's light. You know what I mean? Like, so who is, is there someone out there that is the color police, you know, and, and kind of taking that on. So I, I am not the best person to ask that question because I, I am still grappling with, um, with why am I not able to speak out if this is the information that I know it is my lived experience or, or what have you. I'm on this. I'm kind of teetering on the same with you, Sonia, in a lot of cases, because I was raised black and basically weren't around white people until I was a, a teenager. I I don't like to necessarily have to out myself as mixed, although I think my face is doing that for me in a lot of cases. Um, but if I get perceived as being performatively black or too performatively black um where that is actually like this is my code switch because this is my get a job voice and this is the thing that i had to cultivate over many years to be able to work in the spaces that i work in but when i get to you know take off that outfit and and be who i naturally am i if you don't know me well you may perceive me as being too performatively black but that is i'm i'm behaving as the people in my neighborhood behaved and things like that and so then i have to answer the question am i black enough to have that code um i have struggled with that tremendously over the years and i think even now i th i think now because i do the show and i'm talking more focused on the mixedness i'm i'm trying to find ways to decenter me in a space that i can take up a lot of room because i can take up a lot of room because i talk a lot you know not necessarily because i want to dominate the space it's just that if I hear it's quiet and I know people don't like quiet, then I will jump in and be a voice, but I don't want to necessarily be responsible for that. If, if, if it's, if other people would benefit better from hearing their own voices over mine. I, but I struggle with you on that too, Sonia, because I, I want to walk into a space and being like, you cannot tell me I am not black. That being said, I have seen what my face and my skin tone has done in a room sometimes like not every time but sometimes and where i become more aware and let and and probably become a little apologetic about my mixedness in those particular cases it's tough richard do you i remember in your film you you have a moment where you talk about like somebody calling you black and you being like what or something do you have moments like that yeah i mean i definitely so to evelyn's questions like have what do i ever go into a black space and people don't recognize i'm mixed like yeah for sure it's happened a lot of times and it just you know it, it fills you with anxiety and dread and uh yeah you find yourself defending your blackness and trying to be like oh yeah my mom's from trinidad uh my dad's white that's why i look like this you know trinis are really mixed to begin with so i'm super light uh i got this hair that's that's all I got to prove it to you. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, it's just one of those moments when you just you're not sure what to do. Uh, so you just have to, like, come out and at least I just come out and sort of, I guess, defend my identity. This is this is it. Uh, I, I kind of apologize for not being black enough for you, but uh, this is who I am. So, hey, Evelyn. Um, so for me, because I spend most of my time 
in black spaces when I can. Um, and so what happens to me in black spaces, particularly all spaces is people, people think I'm all kind of like many of us, people think I'm many, many, you know, the list is long. The ambiguity list is long, long, long and never ending. And there are people are always adding new things to what they think I am or could be. So what's interesting in black spaces is I wouldn't expect someone who looks like me in black spaces for people to say, well, I just thought you were black. But that happens a lot. So a lot of black people just think I'm black. And I, if I say I'm mixed, if it comes up in context, I don't lead with it usually, unless there's a reason. If I'm promoting my book, which is a memoir about growing up mixed, then I'm going to lead with it. If, if it's not that relevant, I'm probably not going to lead with it because I, I tell people, the only thing ambiguous about me is my appearance. I'm basically a black person you know, with all the variations thereof, but I, I'm a black person. If, if, you know, if you're going to put me in a category, that's where I live. So in black spaces, I'm never not comfortable. I try to read the room, like all of us, hypervigilant, all senses on, you know, code red, but um, just because of all the nuances and all the complexities. But, but for me, if, I mean, again, when you're ambiguous looking, then you can see it, you can smell it, you can, you can see their eyes, you can see the scrutiny, you can feel it from across the room. If that seems like it's going to get in the way of our communication or our relating to each other or whatever, then I say, hey, this is what I am, this is why I look like this. You know, and I've never had anybody challenge me for, I mean, a, a couple of people will say, no, you're definitely Chinese. And I'm like, it's not really in the bloodline though, you know, or whatever. And they just, they just do that. But I've never felt, I've never felt like I had to prove blackness. But again, part of it might be that I came up during a time when if you were part black, you were assumed black. And if you didn't want to be assumed black, then you had a battle on your hands. Right. And I teeter on that generation, too, where it, it wasn't until and honestly, it wasn't until I left the hood that I had to prove blackness, because up until then, I mean, obviously, location and stuff like that. And people would see my dad, but they would also see my dad's face on my body. So, you know, that that part was easy. <laughs> I looked just like him. But I I don't ever feel like I defend my blackness to black people too often. Um I find that I have relationships with light skin, black presenting people or appearing people, um, depending on if you like the term appearing over presenting, uh, where I come off blacker than they are because they're suburb mixed and I'm hood mixed. So I get like a I get a blackness pass that suburban mixed black folks don't seem to get, even though I look the way that I look. Do you how do you all shake out in that? Straight hood. <laughs> I, That's why I, I'm not I, I, I grew up in an all white town. So um, that's been, then I spent my whole like rest of my life in urban places. So um, I guess I'm your suburb friend, <laughs> but uh I honestly, okay, I wanted to talk about Evelyn's question. I wanted to respond. And um, I will say that the only, t I don't get, I don't get at all like, oh, you, you belong here as a black person. Like, I don't really have that experience. Okay. Oh, you've never? Yeah. No. And, oh. and I'm, yeah, I'm, 
I'm very aware of that. Look, I got straight hair. I mean, you know, and I'm very aware of that. And so I hold my, I just, I feel like it's just about respect. It's like, um, and this is again, part of my way of dealing with mixedness is that I just enter places and I kind of wait and I just watch and I'm, and I'm, I'm there and I'm holding who I am. Like, I'm not trying to not be who I am. I'm holding who I am. I'm, I know who I am. I know who my ancestors are, you know? Well, and some of them I probably wouldn't like, but I mean, that's a whole nother story. <laughs> but, uh, so it's, uh, yeah. And, and I think it's, yeah, if I'm with my black, uh, if I'm, if I'm going to a black space, I'm with my black friends, what have you, I, maybe that's different. You know, but I don't know. I don't, I'm not a mind reader. I just, I don't know. So that's, that's my response. And thank you for your question, Evelyn. Sonia, do you, um, I remember you and I talking about where you were. It was, it was, wasn't it more about trying to prove that you were Mexican or be identified in that way when you were growing up? Oh, you're still on me. I've, I've had it all. Uh, there you go. There you go. Oh. Can you hear me? Okay. So we, uh, my family came, so Puerto Rico to Hawaii, uh, to California. And when I came to California, it was in the height of the Valley Girl uh, blonde hair, blue eyes. And so I was not that. And so was definitely trying to, um, you know, figure out, you know, there wasn't anybody who looked like me fast forward to middle school. And there was a time where, uh, it was a predominantly Latino, uh, community school. Um, and so, and my last name is Smith. So the whole thing was, you know, um, I just didn't want at that time, 12, 13, 14, um, I didn't want to be labeled different or asked all the questions. Um, why is your last name Smith? And so I really wanted my mom to give me, you know, her uh, Latino, you know, surname. And and so there was that, uh, you know, trying to figure out I wasn't uh, Latina enough. I wasn't black enough. So there was always this uh, questioning um, based on my phenotype. So I think that's you know, people really wanting to put me in a box and try to understand who I was uh, and who I am. And so I think that's really, you know, uh, that has been challenging. And that's something I think that is why after all that time, I'm now able to walk into predominantly black spaces and, um, you know, really have that feeling of I, I do belong here and I can have this, uh, whether I choose to say anything or, or not. Um, but I do deserve to be here and I refuse to have to, um, question, you know, be questioned about my blackness. And, um, because again, that's, that is something I'm not going to carry for you. Um, and that is for you, them to understand that, uh, you know, the, the African di diaspora is so vast. And so there's just no way that, and I think they need to, you know, we all need to kind of just understand that there's different hues and uh, textured hair and, you know, we just got to get on board 
And so to continue to apologize and, you know, kind of sink in, um, in the background, I'm not going to be doing, I'm not doing it. Right. And I'm sorry, I forgot that it was a Puerto Rican origin, not, um, not Mexican origin. I apologize. No, 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 no. We, it was because we, you were at, you're absolutely right. My mom is Mexican. Uh, we, we oh. were on the island of Puerto Rico because we were based. My parents are in the service. Oh, that's what um, it was. Okay. So we were stationed on Puerto Rico and then, um, and then transferred. So no, that's you. You're absolutely right. I was, but, hoping, uh, I was hoping but, my elephant memory was not failing. Yeah, yeah, but it's funny because even with Puerto Rican, if if somebody says, "Are you mixed?" and I said, "Yes," my dad's you know black, my mom Mexican. They're like, "Oh, so you're Puerto Rican?" You're Puerto Rican, yeah. So I get that, you know, where you know yellow and uh, blue make green type of thing. So all of a sudden, I you know you talk about the ambiguity that happens and people trying to guess who you are, but that mm-hmm. yeah, you are yeah. Right. The ambiguity guessing game is uh, Teresa and I have both talked about it as being like we would tr- we would trade the hell out of that <laughs> if it would just let us exist in a space without having to ask too many answer too many questions. Uh, the question that I hate the most is the in terms of proving blackness is how many grandparents you have are black. Um, that's that's the one that that's the one that gets me a lot because just because doesn't matter how many grandparents I have of any particular race where did I grow up? Who did I go up around? You know, to, for me is the way that my identity pulls, but I don't know how that is for everybody else. Maybe it, maybe it is a different way for everybody else. Um, so we are coming near to the end and I want to make sure that, thank you Evelyn for that question. Cause I think that that carried on in what we were talking about really well. We had another question earlier and I'll get to the other two as well from Mona Lisa. Uh, her question is how can the entertainment energy and industry hire and include more mixed race people, film, TV, music, fashion, news, etc. And how should they be properly represented and portrayed? Does anybody want to jump on that one? Sonia? Yeah, I love that question because again, it, it it speaks to, you know, some of the things that I'm dealing with with mixed up clothing is uh really trying to figure out one, the the challenge is uh is and always in how we're kind of facing whatever, you know, whether it's getting in front of a publisher or getting in front of a movie studio to play our, you know, do our films is you have to have those numbers. So first I would definitely say come armed with information, come armed with research. Pew research is a great one. Um, so Nielsen is another great resource. So step one, know your numbers and two, use your buying power. Um, if I'm in a, in a store and there's, um, you know, brown babies or black babies on a diaper, pick the box with the black or brown baby, because that translates into, uh, I see if I continue to use this kind of, uh, branding that I'm going to get, uh, higher returns. So it's those kind of things that we really have to be intentional and cognizant of, um, and then make comments on these pages. There's uh, on their pages on um, uh, CBS studios or any of the studios when you're make be social about it and make those kind of comments that say what you want to see and tell, you know, uh, the work mask is doing behind the scenes is, is part of this um, because we are in Los Angeles and that is, you know, uh, our backyard is really letting uh, publishing houses and um, movie studios 
and, you know, um, toy brands and all that know that we are here and we want to see this kind of um, uh, messaging in the in the commercials that we see in the TV shows that we watch um, and that it is important. So if you do see them, uh, I would definitely make a comment on their page, letting them know. So that's how they respond, whether it's uh, through the, their numbers on and the responses, engagement on their platforms and in their pocketbook. So we have to let those be known. Right. That's a good tip about the subtle purchasing of like the diapers with the brown babies versus the ones with the white babies. Um, it's just one of those little things you don't think is something that they're calculating a number off of that they absolutely are. Um, I think that is a really good tip for I would to I would jump back on that. I'm I removed outside of the film industry over the last couple of years because of how difficult it was to be hired. Um, but one thing that I would say within the film community is that we try to bring on as many of us as we can on a project if we have any power whatsoever. Um, so if you're in a position of hiring in any way, shape or form, make sure that you do actively seek brown and black people to be um, to, to be considered, like, even if you're not the person who's deciding, put their resumes in front of the people that you make, build the relationships with the hirers so that you can put those resumes in front of them. If they trust you and your work and you're recommending folks, you'll get more people. You'll start to see more black and brown faces, um, on productions. That's what, you know, me and the collective of people that I have worked with before, we tend to work with each other on many projects because we, one of us gets to the door and we jam a wedge through that door so the rest of us can can get on through. Um, the other part is maybe be very, very vigilant about when a mixed race character is necessary versus when a monoracial person of color is necessary. Um, you find that a lot of uh, mixed race people might get in on a role that is an entirely black family, but you have this one mixed person, um, even as a mixed person, and I wanna be here for the tribe and be like, yes, we're in there. But if the entire family is black, I wanna see an entire, you know, I want a black person, a monoracial black person or something to get that role because you want to be okay. You want to be, I hate the word normalized, but you want it to be normalized that black families exist and that they can be on TV and they can be in movies and things like that. Um, I think that is an, an important thing. Um, and and again, continue to vote with your dollars in every way that you can you can buy a movie ticket, even if you don't think you can go. If a black movie is not in your region, buy a ticket for that black movie in another region maybe give it to somebody in that area if you can that's a way to vote for with your dollars hopefully you'll have access to that movie down the line somewhere else but when i lived in bridgewater massachusetts i couldn't see black movies very often if unless i went up to boston so i would buy tickets to black movies in boston and if i decided i was not going to take that train up at least that ticket got bought you know at least that was done so any anything like that that shows that like black audiences need those movies They'll know through dollars. Sonia, you have something else? You just hit something. And in talking about Richard and Teresa and all of, and Allison, all your books and your podcasts, I cannot stress the importance of shouting out these, you know, mm -hmm. these folks. You have to be able to buy these books, watch these documentaries, listen to these podcasts, share the heck out of them, um, buy the clothes, because mm -hmm. Once they see us growing, 
they're going to be like, wait a second, let right. me get her on this tour and his film here. Right. We have to be supporting one another um, as well as the the folks that are, you know, doing the big studios and mm-hmm. doing all, you know, whether you're self-published or, or otherwise uh, uh, published, uh, you we need the support and we need the support of everybody. So shout from the rooftops when you have creatives and makers and Mm -hmm. of, of color that uh, need our help and need our support and need us to buy these books. And uh, where's your book, Teresa? Put that thing up. Uh, Yeah. Those links are going to be up there for everybody. (laughs) Absolutely. Um, So, but it, it struck me as, you know, going from, um, big studio to folks that are right. maybe more independent, uh, independent. So like, listen, okay, it takes I, so little effort to share a post. Can I just say, a quick thing we, oh, oh, sorry, on, Teresa. Yeah, go. I'm sorry to build on what Sonya said, cause it's so brilliant. And on what you said, cause you saw me getting all excited when you said, talked about characters, <laughs> like, can we just let black people play the black characters? <laughs> You know, but I think that the work that all black people play black, please, please, please. And and have mixed roles that mixed people can play. Yay. But but with all of the things that we're creating and other folks we know are creating, ironically, and I think this goes back to Allison's very first point, which he called backbone, that when you're nurtured, that when we create strong, healthy, all of us here and everybody else is doing it, strong, healthy, mixed content products, right? clothes, entertainment, whatever we're doing, um, ironically, I think that makes it easier for everybody to center blackness. I don't know if this makes sense, because if we're strong and we're defined and we're here, not in an adversarial way, not you're mixed or black, but the stronger we are, we have our podcasts, our books, our clothing, our organizations and our films and, and all of those things, then a strong black identity, I, that's what I'm getting from a lot of the people reading my memoir. Oh, I'm learning and this gives, you know, nobody said this takes away from blackness, but I think it also, the stronger we are, the more defined we are, the more diverse we are, that we, sh- this is a mixed thing over here, that lets blackness, which has been infiltrated, again, that historical context, talented Ted, colorism, all those things, we, we people who look like us, um, and who are like us have often been shuttled into those positions to kind of infiltrate blackness. Like, I'm, I don't know if this is making sense, but I think it makes it's healthier for everybody. And it allows us to de- us and the world to decenter us when we should be decentered and to center blackness when it should be, which is, of course, what's happening now. Right. I just want to say, yes, I just want to say. <laughs> Thank you. And and I and Sonia, thank you. And and, you know, I, I think, Charmaine, we had a little talk just about how, you know, we don't have to be competitive. You know, we can we can work together here and like what you're saying, shout each other out, you know, and um, and what you're saying is like if it's a mixed identity, then this is us. Like we don't we don't need to go ahead and play that that black character is supposed to be black. You know what I mean? Because we got our own stuff. Is that what you're talking about? Right, exactly. Like, I mean, even though I identify more with my with my black side, I also know that my blackness is flavored with Japanese and flavored with the British whiteness. And I have to deal with what that does to me in certain times in different spaces. So am I qualified? 
in that moment to play a black character or to fill in the blank for a black character because they want someone that they can kind of like the Diet Coke black. Like, I'm not going to play Diet Coke black. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm not going to do that to my folks and I'm not going to do that for my own self-esteem and my own, you know, everything that I need in my representation. I want to represent for mixed people. I also want to see black people lifted however much I can, because I know that the beauty that I get to see that the world doesn't get to see because both they don't have access to it or their access is being denied to them. I'm not, I'm not fucking with it. I'm not going to let that happen. I, you know, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to do my best and do my part to try to make sure that I uplift blackness, but also uplift us because we do, we have different spaces. It's not a pie. You know, like you said, it's water. <laughs> you know, it can flow. It can be. There's so much time. Yeah, we are getting. We're we're past the time. And I'm sorry because we have two more questions. Um, and I know, like I said, didn't I say it? I said I would go three hours if someone didn't tell me time. <laughs> uh, so thank you everybody for participating. Does anybody want to drop some last words um, for for T and Janice? I um, I'm going to put in some comments later on to respond to your questions um, because I think those are some good questions too. But does anybody have any last words before we wrap up today? I just think that, um, you know, to wrap up what we were just talking about at this, and this is what Allison said in the very beginning. So we're coming full circle. The stronger each group is, within their own identity, their own backgrounds, their own truths, their own voices, their own visions, then when they come to the table with others, they're bringing quality, they're bringing value, and they're operating from a position of strength, so they're able to give from a position of strength. And I think that's what we're all aiming for. All right. Um, thank you again, everybody else. Uh, please make sure you check out the Mostly White Novel by Allison Hart, which there will be a link in the in the and I was going to say show notes because I think I'm podcasting right now. There's the cover. So you know what it looks like. It'll be a link in the description to it. Also read Swirl Girl, which is the novel by Teresa Stovall, the memoir um, that is also self-published. So make sure you support uh, Auntie Teresa on that. Please go and watch the what are you film which is currently being streamed on san francisco black film festival online it takes a four dollar donation and it's another way of seeing our narratives on screen seeing people that look like us all ambiguous and all kinds of stuff telling our stories it's wonderful and go and check out mixed up clothing i don't have children but i have definitely considered getting some of the items just because they're so cute. I just wish I was smaller enough to fit into them. But I tell well, people about it all the time. we're making masks. We're the making masks. masks. Right. So, so we, we've made a quick pivot. Look at that. There, we I got one model. It. Man, I should have brought mine over because I have hang some on, too. Hang on. I need a photo. There we are. There you go. So um, go to Mixed Up Clothing. You can get masks for every mask that is purchased. A mask is donated to a medical professional still. That's correct. Um, and so you'll not only be supporting a mixed race business, you will also be supporting people that are on the front lines trying to keep us safe during this global pandemic. Please do not forget that while we are dealing with racism and everything on a regular, every single daily basis, we are also in the middle of a global pandemic. 
wash your hands, don't touch your face, wear a mask, be safe. Thank you everybody for joining us today. I'm so appreciative. Thank you for everybody who watched and left self -care, questions. Self-care, self-care. Self-care, yes. take care of yourself and thank you everybody. Don't forget to be a mixed <laughs>